Welcome to the WA Property Q&A, the podcast where I explore the ins and outs of buying property in Western Australia. I'm your host, Peter Fletcher, and each week I interview local property experts to help you to develop a deep understanding of the nuances of buying property in WA. From market trends to legal considerations, no topic is off limits. But before we dive in, a friendly reminder, while we provide valuable information, it's important to note that nothing discussed in this podcast should be construed as personal investment advice. Always remember to seek the appropriate professional advice for your specific circumstances. Now, let's get started and unlock the secrets to successful property buying in WA. So welcome to another episode and uh, with me today is one of Perth's real estate luminaries, Natalie Hoy from uh, Red Fox. So yeah, Nat's with Red Fox and Red Fox is just an exciting little business and uh, she's kind of taking the the world by storm over in uh, Beaufort Street, Mount Lawley, uh, all the suburbs surrounding. So tell me a, a little bit more about the suburbs, your service, and, and about your history, Nat. Yeah, sure, Pete. Um, so I used to be a management consultant, a management and HR consultant before I got into property, did that for a long while, had my own business. Property has always been my hobby, a um, bit of a passion, something I was always interested in. Um, we bought and sold a lot of homes. I get bored easily. And my bad joke is better houses than husbands. So, <laughs> <I'm> thinking, <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> mind you, one could have cost me more than the other, but you know, um, but it was about, <laughs> oh, David, are you listening? <laughs> <laughs> so it was about 13 years ago and we were selling for the upteenth time and I was involved in the usual very in-depth conversation with my selling agents and they said, oh, for goodness sake, Nate, you should just come and work for us. And I thought, you know what, why not? And so I did. And at first I thought I could juggle the two. I could still do my management consulting and work in real estate. I worked out really quickly that wasn't going to happen. So I gave up all my consulting jobs, um, you know, threw myself into real estate and, um, and never looked back. Mm. You certainly haven't looked back because in recent times you've been awarded as, uh, I think, a master salesperson. Yeah, grandmaster for grandmaster. the Grandmaster. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. What does that mean? Um, that means we've sold either over $50 million worth of real estate or over 70 properties in the, in the year, financial year. And it's just, you, well, basically it's just you. I know that you have yep. assistants, a, a team uh, yep. with you, but it's not like you've got a troop of, of sales reps working, working underneath yeah, you. Yeah, no, my PA doesn't list or sell, so that's me. So, mm. yeah. That is, uh, as, as a, an ex-selling agent, almost reformed, <laughs> 70 properties in a year yeah, I is think I very good. 82, 82. this wow. year. And I think it was, yeah, it was more than that the year before. Wow. Yeah, that is, that is a huge effort. So I, I think that's a, a good way to say that you know your stuff. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's been nearly 13 years now. Yeah, um, 12 and a half. And we first met at a, a course I was running on, uh, I think yeah, it was. when I was a newbie. Yes, yes. It was one of your first uh, CPD uh, yep. courses and uh, yeah, we've known each other ever since. It's uh, been uh, been a really productive relationship. It has. So Nat, the, the suburbs that you want to, uh, that you're, you're working in and you, you operate in, yep. they're the suburbs I want to 
to talk about today. And, and I want to bracket out the rest of Perth just so that yep. people don't get this impression that we're of talking course. about the whole of Perth. So so what are the suburbs that, that you're working in? So um, essentially the suburbs surrounding and nearby Beaufort Street. So the core of those are Inglewood, Mount Lawley and Bedford. And then we would also sell the kind of neighbouring suburbs. So, you know, Maylands, a bit of Basie, sometimes a bit of Embleton, Dianella, Highgate, and yeah, as long as we can get there in 15 minutes, mm-hmm. um, we're happy to look after it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So w- let's pick those those top four suburbs. So they were Mount Lawley. So Mount Lawley, Inglewood, Bedford, and then probably the next one would be Basie. Bayswater, rightio. Mm-hmm. Okay. What makes those suburbs special in your eyes? Look, I think a lot of it is to do with proximity to the city. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some certainly it's to do with the quality and the variety of housing stock. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably more importantly, it's lifestyle factors. You know, they all have um, really great amenities, social precincts, and, you know, you, you move into those suburbs for the quality of lifestyle as much as the quality of homes. So I, uh, when I'm talking to people about where they should buy... I, I believe, and uh, it's not a uh, like a it's not a well researched opinion, but I've done a, a little bit of research. I believe there's an association between the livability of a suburb yeah. and capital growth. Yeah, and if uh, so, Ipsos did some research, and they they put about seventeen, sixteen or seventeen factors in into uh, into what makes a livable suburb. And things like um, streetscape, um, tree canopy. Yes. And when you think about tree canopy, you think Mount Lawley, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and all of those suburbs, certainly the closer in bits, have got it. So um, Mount Lawley, lots of tree canopy. You know, it's an older established suburb. It goes back to, you know, some, you know, homes predate the 1900s. So... You know, they've been around for a long time. Inglewood's the same. You know, you get homes ranging, you know, from the early 1900s, you know, obviously right through to now, but you've got that established tree canopy. It makes for a cooler suburb. It does, definitely, definitely. And that's one of the things that, you know, in some ways density challenges because you've got, mm. you know, beautiful old established trees that you're losing and not replacing. But it, though, that though tree canopy really does add to the feel of a street. Mm, mm. Yeah. What else, in your view, does do those suburbs bring to the equation in terms of livability? Yeah, so as I said before, social precincts. So you've got proximity to amenities. You've typically got cafes and restaurants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you know, have so you counted people, up the number of restaurants and? Oh God, you, you, no, that's I mean, a I question blog, on yeah, notice. I, I, yeah, I blog about them all the time. Obviously, you do, but you yeah. know, somebody this morning posted on one. Yeah, of the, there would be hundreds, surely. Yeah, and and someone this morning posted on one of the community Facebook pages. You know, they were looking for a particular you know, kind of style of restaurant to, you know, send their friends to in Beaufort Street. And I was thinking, well, within, you know, kind of two Ks of each other, there were four that really hit the mark. But then there's a plethora of other options, but they were looking for something that was a little bit upmarket, a little bit funky, you know, kind of really great vibe. Yeah. And there was just four that I could prattle off easily. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that gives you an indication of, you know, that we've just got so many options around. You know, I live in Inglewood. We're 100 metres off Beaufort Street. Um, I love where we live. You know, my house needs some work, but it doesn't faze me because I just, you know, the the amenity and the joy that I get from where I live just more than compensates for that. 
these suburbs are, are very close to the CBD, which we, yep. is a, is another big factor yes, in their favour. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, you can you know you can hop on the, for example, Beaufort Street, the nine fifty bus. I think that's the most frequent bus service in Perth. You know, every few minutes during peak hour to and from the city, you've got the train, you've got other really good um, transport networks. You know, a lot of people work in town, though. You know, more more obviously now working from home since COVID struck and I actually think that's a really good thing for local communities that's a topic of a you know whole other conversation I think but um yeah that proximity to the city is a is a real positive particularly if you're looking you know for an easy commute into work sure sure with proximity to the city often comes congestion but what I observe is that that people that live in a city are, are kind of happy to trade off a little bit of traffic, a little bit of congestion for that sort of access and walkability to Yeah, to, to but you're talking about a little bit of congestion for three or five or six kilometres, not getting stuck in the freeway trying mm. to, you know, travel in yeah. from the outer burbs. It's a very different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what about um, what about crime? So you know, East Perth, which is one of those suburbs not far from there, is uh, I I think it's the the it, it's in the top five of crime uh, per capita yeah. in Perth. Yet it's very very popular. Yeah. Um, what's your thoughts on that? Do you know, um, like from what I can see from the crime statistics when I occasionally glance at them and it's not something that I kind of get caught up in, um, I don't, I, I think the the stats for our, the suburbs that I sell in are relatively low mm. and certainly haven't really changed. I think if there's crime, it's petty stuff, you know, yeah. like, you know, pinching bikes and, yep. you know, all of that kind of stuff, you know, yep. because people have left them out or, you know, someone's left val- something valuable in their car and, you know, people are going down yep. the streets at night, shining their torches in. And of course, they're going to smash a window and nick something if it's, you know, your laptop sitting there, mm. you know, on the front seat. But I, yeah, there's certainly that seems to be the the kind of the most of it. But to be honest, I'm whilst I'm a member of the, you know, the local crime page, I don't pay it much attention. Um, so one of the, the the factors that Ipsos had was for a livable suburb is the could you walk or feel safe walking around the suburb after dark? Yeah. Um, and. I think most of these suburbs, you can, yet they're the like the crime stats in East Perth and and locally here in Burswood, like Burswood's off the chart. And yeah. there you go. Well, why is it that it actually feels safe at night to walk around? Yeah. And yet the crime stats are so high, and you start thinking, well, where does the crime actually come from? And and locally, we've got Burswood, the the casino, which yeah. would be a hot spot for those those petty crimes. You're cars getting broken into in the car park, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, look, my son um, will often work, walk home with his mates and sometimes by himself, which I'm like, yeah, and, you know, very, you know, early wee hours of the morning, um, you know, from, sure we've from, all done from that. Northbridge. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, they can't get an Uber or the cost of the Uber is ridiculous. So, you know, they'll kind of wander home from a club or something like that. Plus young. Yeah. You know, that's it. You know, they, you know, and, and full of good you know, pizza, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't really worry about it. I mean, I walk very early in the morning um, yes. and that never kind of concerns me. Mm. I'm obviously as a woman, always aware of my surroundings, but yeah, it's not, it's, it's not something that, you know, that I sort of worry about. I think a lot of the petty crime that happens is, you know, kind of three, four in the morning when most people are dead asleep. So mm, mm, yeah. All right. So we've established that these, those four suburbs and 
by by um, virtue of association, the surrounding suburbs are livable suburbs. They're they're in high demand. Yeah, good school zones as well. So yes, yeah, yeah, good school zones. And what about shopping? Uh, yeah, well, you, we're blessed with we we are now blessed with a plethora of supermarkets. Once upon a time, you had Coles in Inglewood, and that was it. Now there's an Aldi. Now there's a Woolies. You've got two. Um, you've got um, Good Grocer, um, which used to be the Second Avenue IGA in Mount Lawley. Um, you've got Fresh Provisions, so another Good Gourmet Grocer. They've got another IGA. Um, Woolies has also opened up down on Sterling at the end of Sterling Street and Highgate. So. There's been a real kind of um, surge in supermarkets. In Basically, no one's going years. hungry. No. Um, and what's been really interesting, particularly in Inglewood, since Audi and Woolies have opened, is that other businesses have had more confidence to come in um, as well now that you've got two you know, very permanent tenants. Mm. Um, well, Audi own their site and Woolies is a tenant, but that's a bespoke build for them. That's attracted other businesses to the strip. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. The barbecue question is always, and I'm sure you've had it within the last three days, Nat, how's the market? Uh, Hot. (laughs) Hot. In one word. Yes. Um, Is that why you're wearing a red red dress? Um, Look, that said, you know, there's not one market, Peter, as you know, there's multiple markets within markets. So it's houses for us in, in our areas. It's predominantly houses that are flying off the shelf. Our median days on market for the last 12 months, and in fact, probably two years, have a seven. So, Yelch. yeah, like we, seven we days. yeah, we, I essentially start. That's for each, your, that's for your stuff. For me, that's mm. for me personally. So, we essentially start each week fresh. We pretty much sell everything we listed the week before, and then we bring a fresh batch of new property on. So, it's been really fascinating to see how the market goes. So, houses in particular can't get enough of those. The multi-residential market, so units, apartments, townhouses, we're finally starting to see some growth there. I know Rewa has said, you know, the the RP data core logic stats have come out and said that, you know, prices are pretty much holding from 12 months ago. I think in the inner market um, where we are, that's changing and we're seeing really good numbers and and just sort of tracking the results in groups. We're seeing prices increase, certainly since the start of the year. Land is the only thing that's flat, um, <laughs> and you know, and we oh, can wow. and we can thank the land grants for that because you know within six weeks of the grants being announced, you know, land had you know gone up ten twenty percent. Um, so with bill costs, um, now that's kind of eased off. Bill costs haven't, um, you know, they're in up anywhere between you know thirty and a hundred percent depending upon who you speak to, sure. um, and so that's impacted the demand for land. The prices for land have come off, though it seems to be holding relatively steady at the moment. Mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah. You're certainly not the f- first agent to have said to me that units and apartments are s- starting to sell. Yeah, finally. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's great. Who's buying them? Mostly first home buyers. Mm. So um, mostly first home, depends on the price point. So mostly first home buyers or we get, it's interesting, we get a lot of um, single professional women in the inner north certainly buying for themselves. Um, that's been something, a, a trend I've kind of noticed over the last sort of 10 to 13 years is is a real increase um, in single professional women as as a buyer's market. But that would be, it would be predominantly first home buyers. There's a couple more investors around, but they're usually getting pipped at the post. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So the, the, the home buyers are, are just 
saying, I, I want a roof over my head, I'm willing to pay the extra. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Tired of renting and realizing there's an opportunity to get into the market now. Mm. Mm. Is there anything in your area, aside from land, and we might just yep. come back to that, it's, it fascinates me. Is there anything in your area that is, well, shall we say sale proof or harder to sell? Uh, yeah, harder to sell. Look, this is another trend I've noticed, and it's one that really fascinates me, is that there seems to be increasingly over the years, less and less appetite to renovate. Now, I've never bought, mm. I've never bought someone else's renovation. There's just something in me. It's like, I'm not going to pay for somebody else's reno, but that's what people want to do. So if you give me a beautifully renovated character home, that is going to fly off the market with multiple offers for a premium price. Something that needs work, the demand is not there. So there's far less competition and there's far less appetite. Isn't that fascinating? For me, that's the opportunity. Like I look at those properties and I'm going, that's what I would buy. And I say that when I do my property videos, I'm like, this is what I would buy. But there is not the appetite there. People would rather pay a premium for drive away, no more to pay. I pinched that from Ian Barnes. Drive away, no more to pay properties. Rather Thanks, than, Barnsie, if you're yeah, listening. Yeah, rather than spend the time to potentially reap the reward themselves. And that makes no sense to me. Mm, mm. Just speculating here, is this something that that COVID has brought to us? It this, was happening as in, before COVID. Is that right? Yeah, okay. It was happening before COVID. I hadn't sensed it before COVID. But yeah, yeah okay. no, I've, I've noticed it over the years, I think. And it's. Or is it, sorry, Nat, is it a shift in societal expectations? Yeah, like, we, we, let's stop putting off uh, until to, to have what we want until tomorrow. Let's get it today and enjoy I it. I think it's a whole level of that. I think, you know, there's a level of we want the Instagram ready house. There's a level of we're time poor. Um, there's a level of people don't have the expertise. You know, they don't, you know, they're not growing up with a, you know, a paintbrush or hammering something or, you know, so I, so I think there's a, um, there's a change in skill sets for people as well. You know, and there's also the fear of, you know, not being able to find a trade and how much it's going to cost and all of that. That would too. be a factor. Mm. Yeah. So that, that will come in. So it's a, it's a whole range of things. Mm. So if you were talking to a buyer, as in, you know, the way I talk to buyers, you, would you be saying to them, the opportunity is in the uncut gem? Yeah, absolutely. Like we've got one that we've got open this weekend in Bedford, beautiful 30s character home. It's an elderly seller. She is just gorgeous. It's, you know, pink and blue and salmon and, you know, (laughs) you know, Mm. all of those colours. Like I know, I know a coat of white paint, you know, new window treatments and modern furniture and, you know, you can add 50 to 100 grand to it. Yeah, but she doesn't want to. And there, right there is the opportunity for a a buyer. Absolutely. Mm, mm, Yeah. Just got to be willing. And that rings absolutely true for, for my experience because I, I saw a home open that, uh, that you had in, uh, it was in, where was it? In Inglewood? Uh, well, it could have been there, probably. Um, <laughs> one on the corner that, that was. Oh, the, the Grand Prom one? The yeah. The corner of um, Beaufort and Grand Prom in Bedford? Uh, no, was that an, was that a was corner. Another one. That's another one. Anyway. It, oh, the one in Inglewood that needed a lot of work? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and. Corner like the, of Crawford and Walter Road West. Yes. yes. And, and that one, like there was only a very few people came through yeah, the home open. Absolutely. And yeah. 10 minutes later, 
home that's all been renovated and is beautiful and, you know, just so cute. Yeah. Uh, 50 odd gr- uh, people through it. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. And, and that, you know, that's it. We can get, gosh, you know, we might get anywhere between 50 and 70 groups through something that is done. And, you know, we would struggle to get 10 through something that needs yeah, work. Right. Wow. Yeah. That is a, that is a big, big difference. Yeah, it is. Significant. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So, so there, there's the opportunity. Yeah. It's f- for people wanting to lift their capital, yeah. lift their, their equity. It's what, a bit of sweat equity. What, what, what I will say is you need to be smart about it because mm. in my experience, people overestimate the cost of cosmetic renovations and they completely underestimate the cost of actually doing a proper extension. So people have got no idea how much it costs to knock off walls and add rooms and yes. alter roof lines and all of that stuff. That is really expensive. So the trick is finding something where the floor plan works Yes, and it's just cosmetic. Mm, mm, yeah. mm. And that is a trick. Yes. That yeah. is a, you, you that is a to, real skill yeah. because it's really easy to walk through a home and go, oh, yeah. we could knock out walls and yeah. we're going to. No. The that, moment that, that you say the word knock ka-ching, out. Ka-ching, yeah. ka-ching, ka-ching. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and a coat of paint, most people could do it themselves. That's right. But uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, just watch good... Ronnie on the block. Watch Ronnie on the block. He <laughs> <laughs> does follow Ronnie in Georgia because Ronnie does all his Renault tips. So right, okay, yeah, yeah. okay. Oh, I m- must do that. There you go. <laughs> now, so you, you were saying that really nice homes they attract a crowd. Yeah, and you know, we see this all the time. What's the most number of offers that you've written for a property? 21. Oh, my God. And that was in Karen up, actually. <laughs> 21. 21. Yeah. Did you expect that would happen? No. Oh. No, we didn't. We knew it would be popular, but, yeah, yeah it, it, was, it, was, um, it was big. This is what I'm hearing a lot, Nat, that um, agents, they know that the market is hot. They, yeah. um, they expect to be, have a lot of people through the home opens. They expect to have multiple offers. And every now and then it just shocks even the most hardened agent as that, well, yeah. I didn't see that coming. No. Mm. no. And when you look back on it, could you, would you say, well, I should have expected that or, or you just continue to be, no, I just I, don't know I, why that I, happened. I always say you, re- you never know what the response is going to be until you hit the market. And I hold true to that because there's been property that I've put on that I've expected to be flooded, you know, with offers with, and it's not just me, Alana, my PA will say, oh my God, I expected we'd be like knocked over in the rush and we haven't been. And then there's other stuff that will just blow you away in terms of the level of interest that you get. And it's, it's, you you just don't, you just don't know. Every now and then, and, and it's very rare, you will see a property sit on the market. Yeah. What's going on? There's a number of reasons for that. So occasionally you'll have something come up that is a bit unique and it's not going to have the big natural market. Like in my area, if I put a four by two character home with two living areas on a full block in the right school zone on the market, guaranteed, get flooded with inquiry. Mm -hmm. Um, If I put something on that is a little bespoke, it's a little bit unique, it's got a much smaller pool of buyers um, that it's going to attract. That might be something that will either sell straight away or take a little bit longer to move. So it can be about that or it's, it's overpriced. So it, and that's either because 
the agents promise too much or the seller's expectations are too high. Mm. So if you've if you've got a property like for example we see them all the time there's a ton of them around it's usually the same agents that do them you know they've been on the market for 3 months advertised as offers. Why? Mm. You know there's there's no reason for that. You would know in the first 2 weeks. Mm-hmm what the market is saying about that property mm, and, mm. you know, where buyers are seeing value. So the only reason it's on the market three months later is either there's a fundamental problem with the property, which is probably not the case, or, you know, the agent's overpromised, or the seller's expectations are too high mm. and they're not prepared to meet the market. Mm. And the agent hasn't given them the feedback or the agent's happy to continue to carry the stock for whatever reason. Mm, mm. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. No. Mm. No. Yeah, you do see it uh, every now and then where a seller is is kind of in love with their own product. Absolutely. And uh, oh, they, they are emotionally attached yeah. to it even. And, and you know, like that's part and, – and that's actually part of the business I enjoy. You know, I, it's, we, we talk about working with head and heart, you know. So head for us is, you know, there's there, absolutely there needs to be the rational side about the business and the sales evidence and numbers and all of that kind of stuff. But essentially, property is an emotional transaction. There's a financial side, but it's an emotional transaction. Um, you know, these are people's homes. You know, sometimes people have lived in them for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Sometimes they built them, you know. So there can be a huge emotional investment. And even when you're selling to move to something better, you're let going of something, you're letting go of something that your brain knows and, you know, and that's scary, mm. you know, and the brain doesn't like dealing with something new. Mm. So it's, it's a big, it's a big change. So property is inherently the purchase and sale of property um, is, is an emotional one. Nat, in your business, you, you get to experience that, that uh, emotional connection that a seller has. Yeah. And sometimes it is a deep emotional Absolutely. connection. Yep. Like there's lots of things that have gone on in a home and there's, yep. a, there's a real close uh, connection. And then at some point, and I, I saw, I've seen it a number of times when I was selling, that there, you can physically see it when a person lets go. Yeah, you can. And it's all like, it's yeah. sometimes it, it, yeah. it's a, an emotional experience and, yes. they, and you go, wow, yep. I just saw something happen. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And sometimes it's, um, helping the seller to, to, um, to acknowledge that and to let go. And, and, and there's been occasional times where I've kind of called it and said, you know, my sense is um, you don't want to let the property go and you're yes. struggling to let the property go. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why we're, why we're stuck. And they'll go, yeah, no, I think you're right. Yeah. 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 And it sometimes is, it, you know, it might be as simple as taking the statue from the garden and moving it to the new home or, or yeah. giving it to one of the kids or yeah, it, it'll be there'll, something that will be a totem for that, yeah. that emotional connection. And if you address the emotional connection and then address the totem, people can move on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, and that, you know, I, it might sound a bit woo woo, but I do believe, you know, people kind of form that, that connection to their property. And it is, it's that process of helping them, you know, move that onto, onto the next phase. Mm. I think the, that, that you are so in, in touch with the, the emotional connection. I think this is one of the reasons why you've done so well. Yeah, well, I, I, see, I see what I do as an act of service. And, and remember, I come from a consulting background, so I approach things a little bit differently. So you're there, you're there really to serve. You know, you're there to assist the seller to move on to the next stage of their life. You know, they've got fears, they've got concerns, they've got wants, they've got needs. 
you're there to address those. For me, every home is a new consulting project. You know, you can choose to do real estate by numbers and a lot of agents do that and they keep an emotional distance from it and they treat it as something that's very transactional. I don't get any joy from that. That's not my thing. I, I really love the connection. I really love facilitating an outcome. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I love the nitty gritty of the negotiation and getting mm-hmm. and getting a really great result. But the reason I love to get a really great result is I know every extra dollar I can put in my seller's pockets helps them with the next stage that they're going to. So a lot of our process is, you know, designed around that. Really, yeah. Nat, some years ago, I was uh, doing some work for Rewa with their their social media, and uh, one of the presenters, I, I think uh, he was probably their keynote speaker for the day. He comes off off the stage, and he, as he's walking out the back, I, I I grabbed him, and I said, "Would you mind uh, just doing a quick piece to camera on what you've just presented?" And he said, "Yeah, fine, you know," and. I asked him, so what's the key if you if you left your audience with one uh, script or dialogue, uh, what would it be? And he said, uh, well, it would be, Nat, if I f- saw a property that suited your intru- your needs perfectly, should I, do you want to know about it or should I sell it to someone else? And I went, wow, that, that script, that dialogue is as, like I remember Tom Hopkins talking about this back in 1985. Uh, so it, it certainly wasn't anything creative. What's your thoughts on, on scripts and dialogues? Okay. Um, I'm sure I use them. Um, I'm sure I use them. It's not something I would adhere to or subscribe to. I, I remember somebody saying to me once that, you know, who did a lot of script and dialogue training and they, and you know, that agent still works and they're very successful. And that was their thing was script and dialogue training. And they would train, they, and probably still do train for 45 minutes every morning on scripts and dialogues. And he said, and at the moment we're practicing to sound authentic. <laughs> we're practicing to, to sound, sound authentic. authentic. That's gold. And, and I'm like in my head thinking, just be authentic, yeah. you know, like be authentic. Because if you can be authentic and you can be present and you can ask questions and you can listen, that's half the half the job. Now, I might have, you know, a kind of semi-format that, that I'll have, but I don't, I don't have the, I don't think I have the rehearse pattern. Alana might tell you differently if she hears me on the phone all the time, but I don't go in with the intention of, saying the same things or going, oh, and I need to say this and I need to say it in this kind of way. I, I go in with the intention of having a conversation and seeking to connect and seeking to understand. I think the, the, best, the best thing that you can give to somebody is your presence. Absolutely. And if you can go in and genuinely listen to someone and, uh, and genuinely understand their needs and be open to the possibility that you and they are not a good fit yeah. and, and be okay with letting someone else have the business. There's, there's an uh, immense power and there's a, an immense fluidity in that, that it doesn't come across as, as with scripts and dialogues, it, yeah. they come across as harsh and uncaring and, you know, yeah. and unless of course you've practiced being authentic. authentic. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. 
but yeah. you know they have their place. And for people get, that are just starting out in the industry, it can give them some framework and confidence until they feel comfortable in their own skin. But my advice would be try and be yourself. Yeah. yeah. And and don't sell. You know, don't be there to sell. Be there. Be of service. Be of service. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Be be there for the other person, not for yourself. Yeah. And that's where that expression, Absolutely. permission breath comes from. Yeah. And I think Tom Panos has a really, really good point about that. You know, the seller and the buyer need to need the deal more than you do, you know, and I think that's well, let's really hope that's important. Case. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Now, you said before that you have a lot of homes where you have a lot of people yep. coming through. And I, I know that I've seen that um, myself. What's your advice to buyers who they've missed out? They thought they were offering, you know, enough. They've missed out. What's your advice to buyers to to get them to be the number one offer? Yeah. I think the thing is all agents handle the process differently. So the first the, and, and really important thing to do is to talk to the agent. You really need to understand how the agent is going to manage the process. You know, are you getting going, anything out of some of these agents yeah, is just about impossible, yeah, Matt. Yeah, I know. Look, and it's it's not only impossible; it's just it's all scripts and dialogues. Yeah, it's true. it's like you ask them, well, uh, yeah. what are you guiding? And, and, they, and I and I get it. And so there's a lot of mistrust that happens. I remember, you know, I think you know, on two occasions I've had buyers say to me, you know, but how do I know you're telling the truth? And I'm like, well, mm. when you see the sale price reported, you know, typically buyers will miss out once with me, and then. They get it. They know that what they're being told is the truth. It's, it's where things are at. But every agent handles the process differently. So I think the first thing to do is question the agent in terms of how are they going to be managing the process? You know, is everybody only getting one shot? Will they have a chance to revise their offer? How's it going to be managed? When are offers going to be presented? Um, so it's really important to understand the process and how that's going to be managed. I think the second thing is to make sure you have the conversation with the agent, um, you know, give them information about themselves. Obviously, you've got to be really organised with your finance. You, you, you're never going to buy anything if, if you're not organised. People want to put deals together that are going to stick together. So have the conversation with the agent to find out the process. Give the agent some background about your situation so that they understand it and know where you sit. And I, and I think my third piece of advice is the other things I kind of say to buyers are when you're told to put forward your best and final offer, make sure it's genuinely your best and final offer. You know, not your wiggle broom price, but, you know, your, your genuine best and final. Because you want to, if you don't get it, if you miss out, you want to be able to go hand on heart. You know, it wasn't meant to be. The universe has got something better in mind for us. And the other thing that I always advise buyers is to mix up their number. Don't ever give me a multiple of 10,000 or 5,000, definitely not 100,000. Mix the number up a bit because I've lost count of the number of times where, you know, someone has won it. And like, and we're talking yeah. mid mil, you know, properties in the mid one mils and it might be 1,500 bucks or 750 bucks or 888 bucks difference, you know. So it's why often the sale prices on my properties are a little bit weird. So that's <laughs> because, interesting. Because a lot of, yeah, because I tell people to mix up the number. But I think you've got to speak to the agent, understand the process they're using, stay in touch with the agent, you know, make sure you communicate your circumstances to them, genuine best and final, give it your genuine best shot and mix your number up. Okay. Yeah, that's what I usually say in my blogs too. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's interesting. So how does a person, how does a buyer... Oh, and sharpen your conditions if you can. Okay. Which means? If you're able to reduce the time for your finance period, do it. And if you can reduce the time for your settlement period, do it. And a lot of buyers do ask, and I think it's a smart question, you know, has the seller got any particular time frames or settlement conditions or anything that they want to meet? If you can be flexible, because some sellers want, need to be flexible, they need a longer term for settlement. So, you know, a 30-day cash unconditional might not suit them. Yeah, sure. Um, mm. Whereas a longer if settlement some, If somebody's will. putting their ha- property That's to the right. market, yep. hoping to go on and buy yep. something else, That's correct. Uh, a 30-day cash unconditional That's is right. actually yeah. not going to be great for That's them. That's it. And a lot of people are selling at the moment with nothing to go to. So yes. they're actually asking for 90-day settlement periods and getting them. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. yeah. Mm. So if you can be, so it's good to ask those questions about the seller so that you can position your offer to be competitive. Mm. Yes. Um, on the subject of conditions, yeah, they are important. So I recently helped someone buy a property. Uh, it was a 1.1 million duplex block and uh, it was pre-market. It was officially, it was listed. It was yep. on the market, but it hadn't hit the portals. And the agent started asking me some questions around finance approval because I told them that the my client was pre-approved yeah and uh they uh you know they they started having some well can you show me can you like they they didn't want to sort of take my word for it yeah and so what we did is we went back and revised the offer yeah and uh one of the things was uh we changed the deposit from i think it was 10 grand to yep. 50 grand yeah because we just wanted to let the sellers know we are serious in this yep. to play and to do the right thing by them yeah and we handed over a copy of the finance pre-approval yeah and the offer was just about instantly accepted yeah mm. yeah i mean so yeah that's... we can't say enough about about that uh, about conditions and also um, uh, timber pest and building. Um, I think most of us n- have a pretty good idea when you look around at a, a home, what is, what's a substantial home and what is probably or, or possibly structurally defective. Yeah. And then the question is, well, even if it is structurally defective, is it a, is it a really, you know, like, is it going to be a huge problem? Yeah. Uh, you know, so you might just think twice about putting a, a structural inspection clause on an offer if, you know, if you, you look around and go, yeah, this is this is solid. Yeah. Look, I think anything, I always say, so there you go, here's my dialogue. Um, <laughs> sellers, sellers are looking for the easiest route to the result. Yes. You know, they just want a clean deal. They want to know that when their home is under offer, it's essentially sold and that 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 is going to progress through to settlement. Mm. So they will look for the easiest route to the result. If they've got a buyer that looks particularly difficult, and if I've got a buyer that's been a total pain in the ass to deal with, who's, you know, shooting me contracts written by a lawyer with due diligence conditions and, you know, all of that kind of stuff, and I know that they're going to be a nightmare, and then I've got a buyer that is just nah, nah, happy, like thrilled, wonderful. You know, we can do finance in 14 days. 
you know, don't need the building. If Gosh, if they don't need the building in the town, might wonderful. But if they do, but if it's just a standard one, you know, yep. they're realistic. Make them with their standard ex- clauses re- if you're going standard, to use them. Standard, absolutely standard. They're realistic with their expectations. They've been organised. They've been a joy to deal with so far. I know which one I'm telling my seller to take. Mm. Now, do you ever see a difference? Uh, like, did you ever see a seller accepting a lesser offer? Yes. Because of they, they want more certainty? Yes. Yeah. I literally had that two weeks ago. So I had... And what sort of difference are we talking here? That was 15 grand. So that's, I was... That's, I was a, that's a lot. I was, I was surprised. Um, mm. I probably would have gone for the higher finance offer, but they went for the lower cash um, mm-hmm. with a settlement in 30 days. Yeah. 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 So... so don't pay the conditions off. Don't just put no. conditions on there. Yeah. Be minimalist. Yeah. yeah. That's that's my advice yeah. too. And uh, that, that sometimes sellers will wait. You know, I always say to, um, to, to buyers, the difference between cash and finance is three weeks. So don't think you can come in, you know, really aggressively with cash offers. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Mm. Now, this has been a really good conversation. Um, I've got a lot out of it, as I always do talking to you. Um, thank you. Pleasure. For, for thank being you. part of it. And uh, we'll wrap it up there. So thanks for listening to the WA Property Q&A podcast. And that wraps up another episode of the WA Property Q&A. We hope you found our discussion valuable and gained some valuable insights into the world of property buying in Western Australia. Remember, while we strive to provide useful information, it's crucial to consult with the appropriate professionals before making any investment decisions. Don't forget to tune in next week for another exciting episode where we continue to unravel the mysteries of the WA property market. If you have any questions or topic suggestions, feel free to reach out to us. Until then, happy property hunting and remember to seek the right advice for your personal circumstances. Thank you for listening. Thank you.